What is up, everybody? I am Raymond Summerlin. We are back. This is the Sharp Angles podcast. And today we're going to talk about fantasy football. You heard that right. Fantasy football. It never sleeps. It never ends. And that's because of the explosion of best ball fantasy football. And if we're talking about best ball, there's only one person to talk to about that. And that is Todd Burroughs. Todd, how how you doing? How you living? How you feeling? I am um, about 25 drafts in. After promising Goodness. myself I wouldn't start early, the underdog fantasy little board at $3 each was my gateway drug back into best ball. Um, yeah. But I, I'm enjoying it. I just finished up studying all the rookies, and I am very eager to talk with one Mr. Raymond Summerlin about best ball. Well, let me tell you, I almost as soon as the Super Bowl was over, I left. And I went to Hot Springs, Arkansas, which I'd never been to before. And I kind of liked it. Was it was nice? What are you? down there. What are you? FDR was he the president? Yeah, no, who? I was feeling great. No, I, they have a they have a statue of LBJ, so I assume he spent some spent some time there. Uh, LBJ, a uh, an alumni of one Texas State University, just like me. Uh, go go Bobcats! But the um, but yeah, no, it was it was fun. It was like a trip back in time a little bit. They got a cute little downtown. We went and hung out in some uh, some hot baths. So I did all of that, and I have not thought about fantasy football for 2024, basically at all. And so I'm very interested to talk with you about about some of these ideas. I I over if you go ahead over to sharpfootballanalysis.com, you'll see we put up ADP from underdog early underdog drafts and so I went through that today as I was updating it and there's some, you know, there's some interesting things in there that I'm I'm interested to kind of pick your brain about and go through. So head over to Sharp Football Analysis, check out the ADP and uh you know, let's get into it. Let's get straight into best ball season. Um I think the most important thing, and this was, you did a series, a great series last year about, you know, strategy and going through from year to year. And and some of it, a lot of it had, you know, player takes for, for 2023, but within it was also just basic strategy ideas of like how we're approaching things, how, how you approach, approach a draft, where you should be drafting players, how you should be building teams. All that, by the way, is still up on the website. So you can go and go and check that out. But every year that changes, like last year we had different ideas about how we should approach drafts. And this year we will have different ideas as well. This year, for instance, tight ends are definitely going a lot later and nobody's really investing heavily in the position. Something we'll talk about later. So as you look at last year and kind of your successes and failures, what are some lessons you learned from 2023 that you're going to try to apply to drafts as you start getting into this year? Well, I mean, first of all, I, I I hate to correct such an eminent Hot Springs, Arkansas gentleman, but um, I'm finding overall tight end going much earlier. Um, we're so just, so we're that's just interesting. Not, so we're just not seeing tra- uh, the first round guy, right? You know, Travis Kelsey's yeah. not going in the first round. Uh, Laporta is going end of the second, beginning of the third. Uh, but in general, um, you are seeing the next couple tiers go earlier than I can remember. Yeah, no, I agree with you about that. I was more talking about we don't have that one kind of that one high end um, kind of ADP guy like we like we have had in the past. And I, I believe Laporta is actually going is actually going below um, where Mark Andrews went or right around where Mark Andrews went last year. And so we are seeing, you know, a, a bit of a decrease at the top, but you're right. That next group, it seems like people, people are much more comfortable 
at least from this early ADP when I'm looking at. And again, I'm coming in fresh right now. But it seems like people are a lot more comfortable comfortable with that second tier of tight end than we have been in, in a little while. Is that is that kind of what you see as well? Well, first, I want to call out Corey in 2121. Thanks for jumping in. Um, I agree. I will never be bored of fantasy football. Actually, that's not true. I get burnt out, and I think it's going to last a couple months, and it lasts about a week and a half. And then the little board comes. My crack addiction starts. <laughs> And I do. I, I, I don't want to share, uh, you know, the slacks, but I, I remember a slack from you that was like, you know, I'm going to take it a little bit easier here in the first month. And then we get on this. And episode, I did. And you said you're 25 in. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the difference is I typically start up right away with uh, yeah. the FFPC 125s. And I only did my first one about four or five days ago. So gotcha. the little board is, you know, I did a couple big boards. 20 little boards because of course I had to, I had to max it out. But, um, you know, you did ask me about my biggest takeaways from last year, my biggest mistake. Um, and it's, you know, there's nothing worse than going against your own advice, but, uh, at times last year, I put strategy ahead of player when I was choosing, because I thought there was great values at running back uh, throughout the draft. Running backs were going later than ever. So I was skipping running backs. And when you skip running backs early, you skipped one Christian McCaffrey. So, um, you know, that was, a, a, you know, the, the, was the overall strategy good that I could get better running backs later? Absolutely. But you never want to skip a guy like Christian McCaffrey. So that was one lesson for me. The other lesson for me is I doubled down on my stupidity because I missed the best two later running backs in Rashad White and James Conner. We all know that talent is far less important as usage at the running back position. Yeah. And these two guys, everyone kept telling me there's no one else there. There's no one else there. And I, I mean, and I was right. Rashad White is not an efficient running back, but at the volume he got, it doesn't matter if you average 3.5. And I don't know what off the top of my head what he did, but he caught a lot of passes. He got a lot of carries and, and I didn't have him. And James Conner was another one. So uh, those were my two biggest mistakes of the year. Uh, my, my issue with, the run, later running backs is something that it's a hole I've been trying to patch for a few years where I, you know, it, it, you have to pick winners and losers, but, you know, um, I just have a weakness for fading guys that I don't like. And um, it can bite you if, if they end up getting a lot of volume at the running back position. What I thought was interesting about Connor, and I'm glad you brought up him. And so with Rashad White, the argument with Rashad White was always, you know, it, not just that it's he was the only option, which turned out to be the case. Um, my my Chase Edmonds late round uh, late round shares be damned, right? That turned out to be the way that it worked out. But the thing with White was we knew what his receiving pedigree out of school was, and we thought that he could be involved in that way, and that certainly a buoyed his his production was interesting about connor is we didn't have really the same thing happen i, I connor I, I looked it up to make sure yeah connor finished with uh 27 catches and in, in 13 games and the fact that he was able to do that 
on that Cardinals offense that was better than we expected, but, you know, with Josh Dobbs was a great, was really, you know, impressive. And I think it's a, it's a reminder that we are so often wrong about what's going to happen and be, especially at running back because touchdown play such a big role and are so um, are so unpredictable that we need to just make sure you're taking as much shots. And that's actually the thing I'm going to try to do this year. I am not a, you know, full-time best ball player. I am definitely uh, way more casual than Todd about it, but I think that I need to be more, I need to take, even though I'm not going to draft as many teams as like real best ball players, I need to be still be just as, um, just as intentional with player ownership and make sure that I am keeping track of it. And I make sure that I'm attacking players that um, and, and getting shares of kind of everybody and making sure that I'm getting there. And I'll give you a great example. Puka Nakua is a player that I was very interested in last year. And obviously that worked out, but it didn't work out for me because I think I only had him on 5% of my rosters because I wasn't intentional because I didn't attack the best ball draft the way that a, a a best ball player like Todd does. And I think even if you're a person like me, who's not going to draft that many, maybe you only end up with, you know, 50 teams throughout the entire year, which Todd's going to be done with by, by the end of this month. I think that you need to, you need to make sure that you're still applying those principles and being intentional with, with your player ownership. And that's something I definitely need to get better at moving forward. One thing based on what you just said, I need the shirt that says real best ball player. Right, like yeah, that, that's you. Like if you we need do, to if it. we if we do the series again this year, I am going to have a shirt that says Ray Summerlin says, "Real best ball player." Yeah, and I can have a shirt that says "Casual." Casual, uh, because that is a hundred percent what I. Am. And I could just I, uh, kind of have you wander through this, you yeah. know, the uh, the back. Uh, you know, we could just have like a Raymond meme wandering yeah. aimlessly through the uh, best ball. Just the Travolta meme with me just like turning back and forth, uh, the casual, not knowing, not wondering what I'm doing, uh, donating, donating my money to the sharks uh, as, as we do. So thinking about that and thinking about kind of looking back at 2023, is there anything based on what we've learned, anything that you're leaning into this year, especially as I, like we talked about a little bit with tight end, um, people are drafting differently this year. It happens every year. So is there anything you're really leaning into as we as we move into this draft season? Yeah, and you mentioned it earlier. You said something that every year things change. So uh, I'm going to give you a overall thing, big takeaway that I'm going to try and implement this year. Um, as best ball has evolved, our strategy has to evolve. And uh, I feel pretty strongly about how to attack these drafts going forward. Um, and then I'm going to go position by position and just review for everyone who hasn't done 20 drafts, what's different about the board this year versus last yeah. year. So my, my big thing is to spend even more capital in the double digit rounds on the rookies and second year yes. players, all the more fate, you know, basically kind of have the mentality of, I need to advance with my top 12 picks and or 10 to 12 picks and my last you know six to eight picks have to be upside mostly upside players who can get you know you do have to do some roster fluffing i need a third tight end i need you know but making those players for the most part people with upside and youth we see it every year that especially you know the nature of best ball 
and how it's different from any other kind of fantasy is that there's 14 weeks to advance and then there's like three sudden death weeks back to back to back and you know breaking my teams down to make sure that they have enough in the front end and sometimes you're going to you know think about the back end in the front end of the draft but really kind of thinking with each team all right how am i going to advance with this team and then once i if this team is lucky enough to 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 make it out of 14 weeks what's going to make it special to supercharge it to try and get to the final week and win the big money. Um, as and far think, as go ahead on that, so and then I'll I, I think on the rookie thing is well, something I noticed as I was going through the ADP is that I I left in the final 2023 ADP from underdog. Both of these are from underdog. because um, I wanted to see kind of what the what the change was. And if you sort by you know biggest risers you end up with a list that is almost exclusively rookies and Kyron Williams. That's the list you end up with. And so what we see, and this is the same thing year over year, is these breakout players very often are rookies. And so if you're talking about how am I going to find value in the later rounds, well, looking at the rookies is a good place to start. And I mean, the list from last year that you could have found of players, especially players that were great later on in the season in those later rounds, just focusing on rookies. I mean, it's, it's immense and it's, and it's something that, uh, you know, it's something that we see year after year after year. And so I think that pour, idea of focusing pour, on the rookies, especially now, especially pour one out now for my tank Dell. Um, I was, <laughs> that's, I, yeah, that's I, was dead. I was on tank Dell when he, you know, let, let's take our five eight running back and have him block in line, uh, our, yeah. our, in like a like yeah, a, like a yeah, guard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Sorry, it, that's the guy, yeah. right? No, no, you know, that's that's a perfect. I, example. I had Tank lots of Tankdale. I had lots of Puka Nakua. Later in the show, I've spent a lot of time. I'm not a professional tape watcher, but I've had a very good history at being able to spot breakout players, and I'll, I'll go into that, but. First off, at quarterback, we're seeing the top guys go a little later than last year, where they were going um, mid-second round through early third round. They're the, the third and fourth, and Mahomes is in the fifth round. So um, that's a big change. But where the overreaction is has been and will continue to be, in my opinion, at the quarterback position, is we had an unusual amount of quarterback injuries last year. So you're going to see a lot more earlier second and third tier quarterbacks being drafted, and you've seen that so far. And then you, I think once we drop on underdog from 20 rounds to 18 rounds post-draft, you're going to still see a lot, way more three quarterbacks than last year when historically two quarterbacks versus three quarterbacks are, are, are a toss-up. Um, I am going to be making, you know, if that's the case, I'm going to be getting two better early quarterbacks on a lot of builds. Um, at running back, we're seeing um, the running backs go earlier than we had the last few years. Um, and I'll go into a little bit of strategy later on how I'm kind of dealing with that. Wide receivers, are after being the hot commodity the last two off seasons, we're seeing that drop back a bit. And then uh, tight end, we are also seeing the good tight ends go much earlier than historically, other than Travis Kelsey 
And so the board has flipped on its head a little bit. And Ray, you and I can go through kind of some strategies on how to handle that. I think the quarterback aspect of it is a, is a good place to start with the strategy on it. Because Rich and I talked about this at the end of last season, trying to predict where we were going to go. I thought we were going to see uh, a, a general kind of fall with the top quarterbacks. And outside of Josh Allen, it seems like that's, that is what we've seen. But what's interesting about it is when you look at the top, the quarterbacks that are still up there near the top, we still have a lot of what I would consider more, more kind of, they're going to lean more on their passing acumen. You know, Patrick Mahomes is still the QB four, CJ Stroud, QB five, Joe Burrow, uh, QB7, Dak Prescott, QB8, right? And so I thought we would see more of a those guys be hurt a little more, dinged a little more than, than you know, than we've seen here. And so it's that's a bit interesting. And I think your point about the injuries, about you know, what we saw with you know, some of some of these quarterbacks and uh and people wanting to I guess, look at 2023 is like, this is the norm for quarterbacks. That's also fascinating because if you can just have an extra roster spot for wide receiver and running back that most other teams don't have, that seems like a massive advantage to me. Yeah. Well, and the key is, and, and one of the big things that people get wrong, in my opinion, in best ball is, you know, you, you want enough weight at each position to win. And people got better at it last year. But uh, historically, you'll find a lot of lineups where I want to be a zero running back team, but you still draft five running backs in an 18-round draft. When, you know, the, the right strategy, because you don't have enough weight at the top of the draft, you need more weight in the number of, of players you have at that position, right? It's kind of like a seesaw. And you want each position to have a certain amount of balance. Um, and so uh, that is a, a strategy that is very important. So I'm not going to take Dak Prescott and, you know, the 30th, you know, Daniel Jones as my two quarterbacks, right? If I'm going with a two quarterback strategy, you want two guys who you believe are going to be top 15 quarterbacks, right? If you believe Daniel Jones is going to be a top 15 quarterback this year, great then he can be your second quarterback. Uh, but to, but if you're going to go two instead of three, each team, the bet you're making on that team is that those two quarterbacks are going to be good enough, especially in a half PPR site where quarterback points are more important. You need to have two good ones. What about running back? You mentioned some of the changes at running back. Kind of how are you approaching this we're seeing a few more running backs here in the first round. How are you kind of approaching that? Well, you know, the big thing to me at running back is I just don't like the value. I keep, you know, you get to that sixth, seventh round range and there's like Ramondre, you know, like Eckler, all these guys you can poke holes in. And some of them are going to be decent, right? Some of them are going to give good value. But to me, the second and third round guys like A-Chan, I love A-Chan. I think you need to draft some. But you know, he could be a part-time player at his size. Um, Jameer Gibbs, still has David Montgomery there. You know, um, Kyron Williams, uh, historically, you win a lot of money by not betting on the guy who you got in the 20th round in the second round the next year. 
you know, just too much tends to happen with, you know, guys go in the 20th round for a reason. So um, my strategy has been to really dig into the three studs, Christian McCaffrey, when you can get him, which is when you get the first pick. Uh, yep. But Brees Hall and B. John Robinson, right now it is very easy to build up. Uh, Brees is going sixth or seventh on underdog, Bijan eighth to tenth. Um, I took Bijan third in a draft. I think he is, you know, the guy. <clears throat> people, it takes people a while to, to pro, you know, uh, to process the changes in coaching, in cha- in in uh, coordinators, um, and you know, having Arthur Smith. Le- look, we all mocked Arthur Smith last year, but it is a massive, massive possible upgrade for Bijan that he's gone. Brees Hall. So McCaffrey, Bijan, I'm going to be well over for, even though I like Chase, even though I like Jefferson, I'm willing to give up a little bit of ownership there for some Brees and some Bijan because I don't like what else is happening at the running back position. So uh, to be able to lock in that one guy who you think is going to give you first round value and then take five, especially in 20 rounds, I take five other running backs and I've got a, a nice mixture of rookies and that tier that I just mentioned. And my overall running back position is balanced. My wide receiver position is balanced because, um, you know, I'm taking a lot of them in rounds two through eight. One, so Brees Hall is interesting to me, and this is more of like a team-specific thing. So he and Garrett Wilson are both being drafted as if – the Jets offense is going to be functional in 2024 and Aaron Rodgers is going to come back, you know, completely healthy and ready to go. And the, and even if he's not, they're going to find a much better kind of secondary option that can come in and actually run the offense, which their track record on that is not, is not excellent. And and it's certainly possible that happens. I mean, if Aaron Rodgers really was close to returning at the end of last year, he can come back 100% healthy. Maybe they can fix the offensive line and he's fine. But I do think it's interesting that we're just taking that for granted with both of them and their and their prices. And so I am, I don't know, I'm a little bit more wary of that situation than I would be of Robinson, who obviously was an amazing talent and, you know, we're going to hope gets used the right way. What about over at, speaking of Wilson, over at wide receiver? What what are some kind of ways you're approaching those drafts? Well, I kind of, I kind of mentioned that and, you know, yeah. but the big thing at wide receiver is that we just keep hearing how great a what you know rookie wide receiver class it is. So I, you know, I, I am just loading up on not you know the first tier guys are priced way too high. Um, the first three guys in my mind are priced pretty high. Marvin Harrison in the second round, in the middle of the second round, where we don't even know where he's landing. Uh, to me, I, I, I hate to fade completely someone that talented. Um, I like Malik Neighbors a little bit better anyway. So when he drops into the mid-third round, you know, he drops back five, six picks. I'm getting him. And um, But there are a lot of really talented late wide receivers. So I am studying them like mad. I've gotten through probably two-thirds of the ones that are being drafted, if not more. Everyone I draft now is like, all right, he's an 18th round guy. He's a 19th round guy. Uh, But there are some real gems there. Not all of them are going to come in, 
but getting a sense early of which ones you like before we know where they land and then reevaluating them later, which leads me to another big takeaway from last year is like I missed on Rashi Rice because I didn't love his tape. It was okay. And so when he got this great draft capital, I meant to go back and rewatch him and I never did. Right. I think you really, uh, my rule for watching tape for rookies is at least four games. And it's funny, you watch one or two games and you'll have an opinion. And then the third game, that guy who you're not that high on, you'll see him flash. And then the fourth game, he flashes. And so I, I really feel like that's another important step in, in, in not stopping your, you get so, you talk about me being a best ball guy. Well, you can get so caught up in drafting, you stop analyzing as well as you should. So that was a big takeaway for me too at the wide receiver position last year. So um, you know, you know, when when they get the good draft capital, all the more you should go back and make sure that your opinion on that player is accurate. Because we saw with Rashi Rice, he was more talented. Everyone else at wide receiver sucked, and um, he was a very very valuable best ball pick. I. So in that draft capital thing, it can be – it's such – it can force you to also overvalue players like we saw with Jonathan Mingo. And we'll see what comes of Mingo's career. Obviously, it wasn't a good situation for anybody in Carolina. Which is and why so – it is. It's kind of one of those – Which is why yeah. I said make sure, right? In other yeah. words, give yourself – a don't talk yourself into somebody, but really make sure because I was mixed on Rashi Rice. I wasn't mixed on Jonathan Mingo. I didn't like Jonathan Mingo. I didn't draft Jonathan Mingo uh, very often. But, yes, go ahead. Yeah, and I think that that's a good point. And speaking of draft capital, we Ryan McChrystal has a mock draft over at Sharp Football Analysis. Head over there. If you subscribe to our newsletter, by the way, you'll get all of, all of our content sent uh, straight to your inbox, so make sure you do that. But he has his mock draft. He did his first one the day after the Super Bowl. We actually talked about it in the podcast feed. And he has – all three of the top three going in the top six with Roma Dunze going sixth to the Giants. And if Adunze comes Please in, no. if he no. is, if he comes in and is a clear number one receiver, which if you're taking a wide receiver as early as we think they're taking these three, if you come in and you're the clear number one wide receiver, the fact that he's, I think he's the wide receiver 33 right now at underdog, that seems like that seems like one of those rookie values based on he doesn't have the same name recognition as Marvin Harrison and Malik Neighbors, but he might end up being treated very similarly in the draft. And so that's that seems like a, an opportunity for me. And we talked a little bit of tight ends already. Do you have any anything to add there with, with tight end strategy? No, nothing, nothing other than what we already talked about. I do want to say that I am not a Romo Duse fan. And, and no, you know, Ryan is as sharp as they come. And I've talked to a lot of draft people. And Ryan, I, you know, I will always give a second opinion to, thought to. Um, I don't know that. Uh, so I, the guy that I'm like 20% on is Brian Thomas Jr., who goes uh, and Trey Franklin. I, I have Odunze in the same uh, tier with those two, not the same tier as Neighbors and uh, Harrison as far as what I look for. And it'll be really interesting to me to see if he ends up getting the draft capital that Ryan thinks he will, or if the, you know. So Ryan has actually Brian Thomas Jr. at 14 
in his first mock as well. And so yeah. he's definitely putting him up there as well. And that's a great point. If we think, you know, Ryan only had, we talked about this last podcast, you go listen to it. Ryan only had five wide receivers in the first round, where I think if you look at some other mock drafts, you're going to see more like six and maybe seven. And so we'll have to see how this works out as we get through the combine and all of that. And as people test and, um, you know, we can obviously see, you know, things fluctuate based on that. But if we are going to have, let's say six wide receivers in the first round, then that means that outside of, Marvin Harrison Jr., who is going very high, and Neighbors, who's going relatively high. That means that we're going to have four other first-round wide receivers that are probably going to get a good opportunity for early success that are going outside of the first 30 wide receivers in in underdog best ball drafts. And you pointed this out in an article last year. That's what's good about drafting early if you feel confident in these wide receivers and that you can project draft capital with these wide receivers is that you're probably going to get some values because those guys, if you land in the first round, that are, their ADP is going to go up. That is what's going to happen. And you will probably end up with some closing line value on on their ADP if you're able to identify those guys. Yeah, and that's why I also like the little board. The big board runs the whole offseason, and there are going to be a lot more of the puzzle pieces filled in uh, with free agency. Um, and and so the little the big board I'm more willing to wait on. What I liked about the little board was it, it was like fifth by the time I even started, it was 58% full and it only slowed down because all the people who had gotten it to 58% already had done 20 drafts. So um, I get to, I got to go up against like the, not the first tier of people who just felt the need to knock them out. But also I like, I like at certain times when I feel I have edges, I like drafting in contests that close because you lock in. If you're right, you're locking in, your values um, and, and your analysis for that slice of time rather than, you know, you do 70 drafts and you only want to do 80 and then something happens and, you know, someone who you were drafting in the sixth round is now going in the 14th or vice versa. Yeah. And I mean, a great example would be Puka last year. If you were in on Puka, which several fantasy people were, um, ahead of even the draft, right? And you were taking him in the last round in these contests that closed prior to the draft. It wasn't just that you got great value on him. It's that you were one of the few teams that even had him on a roster. And so sure. that is that is the kind of thing that you can really get some advantage. Since we're talking about rookies here, I think we should roll right into that. You mentioned how much tape you're watching. I haven't really gotten to the rookies at all yet. And so I'm interested in who, who are you looking at as values right now at the rookie position as we go through these drafts? Yeah, and I, I want to look something up uh, because, sure. you know, I got I, the mistakes I made cost me a big year. But when it came to my ownership, I want to see if I actually drafted some Puka in, in the early because I ended up with a good bit of him. Uh, no, I did not draft him early, but I had 15% in late on the FFPC. And Tank Dell, I know I didn't draft early because I didn't even know he existed early. <laughs> um, and I ended up with 13% because uh, CJ Stroud talked about him post-draft. And I said, let me give this guy a look. And I said, oh, man, this dude can cut on a dime. I love you know, I love guys who can cut on a dime. 
it's because if you can get open, you're going to get the ball, right? And if you can yep. make these really quick, sudden cuts, and you know, so I had a decent amount of of Tank Dell, and again, Tank Dell wasn't really being drafted in the beginning. Then he got popular when camp opened, and that's what dropped me down to thirteen percent. At some point, I was about twenty. So not that only do you want that, that preseason ruined that preseason game ruined ruined all of your Tank Dell uh, exposure. It, <laughs> that preseason ruined game my that. opportunity to go thirty <laughs> yeah. percent on him. Absolutely. <laughs> so well, uh, what about this year? Some of them you're looking at. All right. So what position do you want to do first? Let's let's talk, go through all quarterback. Who, who are we looking at quarterback? All right, so quarterback, I've only watched the four big guys so far because quarterback is the position that I feel I need to understand the less the least because only the guys who are drafted early are going to start early, pretty much, yep. right? We know who yep. twenty eight of the starting quarterbacks are. Um, I, I and I, and I saw enough of Michael Penix. Is that how you pronounce his name? I think I believe it's Penix. Yeah, Penix. Um, Penix. Um, yes. If you if you Softy. if you feel, if you feel like drafting Penix, uh, don't because I didn't watch his tape, but I watched enough of his wide receivers to see him miss. Just, yeah, he's not. I, I and I wanted to like him because so I, Penix. If you if you dig underneath the accuracy numbers on Penix, they're actually. Uh, really good um and we saw we saw a bit of that in that that semifinal game against texas which i ryan ryan correctly i believe i believe ryan correctly this is my opinion as well as ryan's that was one of the most impressive performances that we saw from a quarterback last year probably the most impressive we saw from a quarterback last year that had shades of cj stroud against Georgia. It had just kind of shades of that. Now, Penix is obviously an older prospect. He's not the same level of prospect. I don't care about how old anybody coming out is for best ball. So let's just get that one out of the way because you, you know, people, people know that dynasty and best ball are two different things, but their brains don't always, you know, like I don't care. Like last year, Tajay Spears doesn't have an ACL. So what? He, he made every single human being who tried to tackle him his last year in college miss. I'm only one year away from that. If his knee breaks down in year four, it doesn't bother my best ball teams. But I'm not on Penix. Um, I am ex- – the big thing about Caleb Williams to me was he runs way more than um, I would have guessed having that. So that's the other thing. I don't watch college football. So I don't have preconceived notions about these people when I start watching tape. And Caleb Williams loves running the ball near the goal line. He had like 11, eight or 10 touchdowns as a, as a quarterback with, while only gaining like 125 yards on the year. Now, you got to remember in college getting sacked uh, takes away from your rushing total. Uh, but I love him and Jaden Daniels. Both are going to be starters. Both are going to give you running. And they're going well after I, 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 I 50% of my drafts have one of the two of them so far, um, because I think both of them are going to be locked into playing time, have enough talent that they're going to stay on the field. And they're also, especially Jaden Daniels. I mean, I have more Daniels than Caleb. Um, so I like them both. I see why people were down on Caleb Williams, 
but there's just so much goodness that he also will bring to the table. He could be like a Jameis Winston the first couple years where he throws 30 touchdowns and 28 interceptions, but he also played in a Cliff Kingsbury offense last year, and I am willing to give him a bit of a mulligan on some of it. He does certain things that people shouldn't be able to do, uh, Mahomesian kinds of things. There you um, go. That's the name. Yeah, but he's not Mahomes, but he's a better runner than Mahomes. And we've seen Mahomes run more as he's gone on in time. But Caleb Williams can run, and he's faster when he runs, and he loves to run near the end zone. Jaden Daniels is, you know, he's going to put up a lot of points with his legs. Um, I didn't like the first cut. I know Ryan really doesn't like Drake May. And I really struggled with a lot of my Drake May tape. At the same time, the dude has got a gun and he played much better as a junior. If he gets that draft capital, with I got to start adding him more because if he ends up in Washington with those receivers, he could be good. J.J. McCarthy, I just, it's not that he didn't throw much, and it's not that he might not be a great quarterback at some point. I, I, I haven't seen enough to make that determination either way. I just don't see him as a guy who's going to put up a lot of points in best ball. I think the type of team that's going to draft him is going to be the type of team that did with him what uh, Harbaugh did at Michigan. I don't see some high-gunning team uh, deciding to put him in a run and shoot. So for best ball, I'm not on McCarthy, but it's a, not an indictment of him as a player as much as how I think he's going to be used year one. And that's also where draft capital for May and McCarthy, because we've heard, I mean, Ryan and I talked about it, I think last week, and we saw a report. I guess it wasn't even really a report. It was just some chatter from from um, from one of the Atlanta Falcons uh writers that you know maybe McCarthy is going to be the third quarterback and Drake may be the fourth quarterback and if we see McCarthy in the top 10 is that kind of change what we're going to see from him so yeah I think that that's an interesting kind of thing to watch as we as we get through this uh this draft season what about at running back who are, who are some running backs you're in on at best ball at their current ADP yeah so at running back um I like a bunch of the later guys, which is always nice. Like I famously loved Tajay Spears uh, late last year. And, you know, it was a little bit of bad luck that he never got a chance to have a game without Derrick Henry. Um, and he certainly put up plenty of points without that. Um, Marshawn Lloyd uh, of USC, Jalen Wright of Tennessee, and Ray Davis of Kentucky are three later running backs that I really like. First of all, this is not a good running back draft by any means. Anyone will tell you that. Um, you're not going to see a round one running back. You you probably will see a round two running back. But, you know, at the same time, Ray GQ, I, I don't remember what his full Twitter handle is, but he made a great point on a podcast that I, I, I watched with Theo Greminger and he said, the NFL is always going to need young legs to take carries. And some of these guys are still going to get a lot of carries. So there are a lot more big backs in this draft than we've seen. Big backs are actually good for half PPR on underdog. Uh, S. Stein, the, the Notre Dame back, um, is probably my favorite of the big guys. 
But Marshawn Lloyd is big, but he has the kind of speed through the hole. So <clears throat> overall, what I look for when I watch tape, I, I, I mentioned the term flash. When I, I need to see someone like do something. I don't care what the skill is that looks well above average. In other words, because what I found is the people who do one thing really, really well, like Devin A. Chain last year, who I was very much on. He was my number three running back. I liked him very much. I thought, you know, his speed was something that I thought would translate. And the knock on him was he was too small. But when I watched tape, he was pushing the pile on off-tackle plays. So you want uh, guys who flash. And Marshawn Lloyd flashed for me in the sense of getting through the hole, that burst. You know, I don't care as much about the guy who can, you know, get you an 80-yard run because it happens so infrequently in the NFL. But that guy who can get through the line and get to the, and get to and through the second level with speed and power a lot of times is the guy who's going to get the ball a lot. Ray da um, the second guy, Jaden Daniels, is kind of an A-chain type with a, just a tremendous amount of speed. He didn't get a lot of carries, but he's a home run hitter. He goes in the last round. I have a ton of him. And Ray Davis... I don't think there is a Tajay Spears in this draft, but if there was, it would be Ray Davis. He's an older back, but he does everything well, and he flashes in everything that he does. He makes great cuts. He has good speed. He has good vision. He can block. He can catch the ball. Um, he's a guy that I could see. You know, you're whenever you're taking someone late at this point, you're betting, you're guessing on landing spot and opportunity. Very few of these guys are going to land as a starter. But what I want is a guy who, if he gets the opportunity, is going to have the ability to crush. Because you might only get three or four games out of a guy like that. You want them to be able to put up massive points. Actually, we've talked about a couple of the wide receivers that you're in on with Brian Thomas and uh, Trey Franklin. Anybody, anybody else from from that position that you're drafting a lot of right now? Yeah. I also want to talk about a couple guys I don't like as much as consensus. Sure. At running back, uh, Blake Corum. He's the, you know, I know that every coach is going to love him and he does so many fundamentally things, right? But he's kind of meh at everything, right? He's good at everything, not great at anything. That typically isn't the kind of guy that I want. Because he could carve out a role on a team because of how solid he is, but an NFL running back his size who gets you 10 carries for 50 yards is, you know, he's not going to really be a touchdown back. In half PPR, I, I struggle with him. I struggle with uh, Benson, who a lot of people love. He seems a little stiff hip to me. Uh, his production wasn't always what I thought it should be when I watched. Uh, a lot of people love Braylon Allen, 19 years old. I th I don't see him coming out of the gate really strong. And another darling is Bucky Irving. He is a fabulous receiver. And I absolutely could see him getting a role. But I would expect a guy his size to make more people miss. 
and to just look more explosive in the open field than he does. On Blake Corum, I uh, I'm not I'm not I haven't studied them the running backs at all. I wouldn't act like I have, uh, but I saw a lot of Blake Corum as a Penn State fan, and I, there's something about him I really like. And what I'm really interested in is how is he going to end up with the Chargers, and will Austin Eckler still be there? And if he's just the lead back with the Chargers next year on a Jim Harbaugh team, uh, what might that look like? And I'm I'm very fascinated by just playing the odds that Blake Corum will be back with Jim Harbaugh next year and hoping that he's going to get that kind of workload is at least it, it, interesting. It's certainly, it, you know, at this point in time, we're telling each other stories. There's a yeah. lot of stories we're telling. Unfortunately, that is a one in 32 story. Sure. Now, sure, sure. I would also say that that's not exactly fair either. You know, so maybe the odds are four of 32, right? Because, you know, he 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 likes him. He's more likely to take him. But even still, a bunch of other things would still need to go right for him. But um, I certainly have. You are not the first person that I respect who I've heard that out of. Yeah, man. Uh, Blake Corum with Jim Harbaugh and Greg Roman. That's uh, that's that's heaven, right? Right there. That, that I saw that you had. Uh, on lower on your lower than consensus, I saw you had Keon Coleman, which is interesting because I learned that with Ryan on the last podcast we did, who you know he didn't have him in the first round, and it seems like every draft person dislikes Keon Coleman, and I have, it's I interesting. Have noticed that. It is interesting that that's just kind of become the consensus, and I wonder, I wonder if the NFL is going to agree with that, or I wonder if. I wonder if he's going to have more draft capital than we expect. And if he does, are we going to get into a Nikhil Harry situation where we're over, over selling draft capital and, you know, not relying on, there are a lot of people that didn't like Nikhil Harry, myself included, but I still moved him up because of draft capital. So that's going to be, Keon Coleman's going to be a very interesting player, especially once we know where he ends up in the draft. And, you know, especially once we know what, what he runs at the combine, which I do think is going to be important for a player like Coleman. Yeah, and and I don't. I'm not as down on. I haven't drafted any, but I'm not as down on him as some. But as down as everyone seems to be, his ADP is still fifth or sixth. That the you know uh, because because if you're a person like me that just watched college football and hasn't really dug into the prospects at this point, all you saw from Keon Coleman was him just mossing people all here, and you're like, yeah, that guy's good, and he's going to score touchdowns, and so that kind of that disparity between like normies like me, I'll call myself a normie for the draft at this point. Cause I definitely haven't gotten into it. And the kind of people that are really watching it, that disparity, that disparity is really interesting and might, you know, like you said, it might present some value here to fade him in favor of some, some other rookie wide receivers that yeah. maybe don't I, have that. I, same, I love Trey Franklin. Pedigree. I love Trey Franklin. I, I think he is right there with Brian uh, Thomas and Odunze. Um, he, uh, I heard someone say he's too skinny. I didn't notice that watching him. It never occurred to me that he was Todd Pinkston. Um, but, um, you know, I, I thought he was really fluid and, you know, just, I feel he's ready to step in on day one and be an NFL wide receiver. Um, late couple wide receivers. I, I love Brian Thomas. I have a ton of Brian Thomas, um, I like Roman Wilson, 
um, as a late guy. He has really gained steam with a lot of analysts. But the, the late guy that I was just drafting almost every draft I could once I watched him was Javon Baker. Uh, Javon Baker is a very highly skilled I mean, he, you know, he he reminded me a bit of Stefan Diggs when I watched him. Um, now, you know, Stefan Diggs was a fourth round pick who would have been a first round pick had he not had some issues. Uh, this guy is going, you know, Javon Baker is probably going to be a third or fourth round pick who's a, a third or fourth round pick because that's w- what he was in college. And the last guy that I want to mention, that whose tape I love, he's older, but he's a hyper-productive wide receiver. And uh, uh, to quote me from earlier, I don't think there is a Tank Dell in this draft, but there, if there is, uh, I, a lot of people like Malik Washington. I'm on Jacob Cowing. Jacob Cowing just, to me, flashed every every – I mean, I just wish there was more tape. There wasn't a lot of games for me to watch. I really like Jacob Cowling and Javon Baker late. I like that the Todd Pinkston reference for all for all the kids uh, out there. <laughs> the Todd Todd Pinkston. Uh, how many? That is a fun one. That that might be a fun dividing age line on who would say him as the skinny receiver versus uh, Devontae Smith, fellow Eagle, as the skinny receiver. That that that's a fun yeah, uh, age line for us. Yeah, I, I mean. Yeah, and 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 how has that skinny receiver worked out? Um, and you know, it's done all right. He's yeah. done okay. Yeah. So I still <laughs> got done. some guys to watch um, at tight end. I um, I think Brock Bowers, if he falls in your draft, grab Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers is is just he's incredible. I don't care if he looks like an accountant uh, next to Gronk. <laughs> Um, and I also really like Jatavian Sanders. He is uber talented. The thing with Jatavian Sanders is, is he going to be ready the first year? Um, it was in watching my four games with him. I think I saw him run. Now, again, these are highlights. I don't watch the whole game. But almost every play for Sanders was a screen or a flat pass. They didn't even run him down the field. But when he did run down the field, I thought he flashed. So, um, you know, I don't know if it'll be year one, but that's a guy I want to ha- – at first I was going to fade him because I thought he was a little raw, and we've seen raw rookie tight ends not do much. But he's the kind of guy when I talk about what's your plan for winning the tournament on the teams that you advance, I think Jatavian Sanders could, you know, get you two long touchdowns in a week that you need him. The Jonu Smith plan of a uh, of attack here with oh, if with he Sanders. ends up if we're, he ends up with Arthur Smith pants off yeah done we're done so we're running out of time here but I do want to we talked a lot about rookies I do want to get your thoughts on a couple vets under and overpriced like who who are you really targeting here in these early drafts well you mean overall players overall just vet veterans players yeah yeah. So um, the, the, the ones that I uh, – I love Kendra Miller. I think that there's – you know, we keep hearing about how – and I wasn't huge on his tape last year. I, I thought it was okay. But, you know, I'm, I'm willing to quickly throw out my preconceived notions if I watch someone in the NFL and they show me something I didn't see. 
I think Kendra Miller is a player, and I think there's a chance that Alvin Kamara is not there. Um, or if he's there, he there's gets a good hurt. chance that he's not yeah. there. Yeah. So uh, Kendra Miller is a target for me in every draft right now. He's so cheap. He and and yeah. And then I would say that um, Javante Williams is the other running back who is kind of in that dead zone tier that we've seen in the fifth to eighth round. But he's kind of towards the end of that. He. You know, they used him a lot first year off of ACL. I think the offense overall will be improved. And I think that Javante Williams, you get that second year off of ACL. And then at wide receiver, the, uh, there's two late guys that I've been scooping a ton of. Rashad Bateman in the 20th round or 19th round. Um, we can't quit him. Can't quit Rashad Bateman. I, I wasn't heavy on him the last two years, but the price now yeah. – and the other guy that I've just been scooping like crazy is Trey Palmer. He showed out really well. There's a chance that Mike Evans isn't there. Um, I think he can pay you off where he's being drafted as a third wide receiver. But if if Mike Evans somehow, you know, or him or Godwin get hurt at any point, uh, Trey Palmer, I think, is a very, very interesting late vet. And I think Miller and Palmer fit a – fit a mold of players you can target late with the uncertainty that we have with free agency. We have uncertainty about Mike Evans. We have uncertainty about Alvin Kamara. We have uncertainty about all those people. Kendra Miller, for instance, in Dynasty is someone I, on my rebuilding teams that I was targeting at the end of last year in trades because we have that uncertainty with, with in front of him. And so if you're looking at these players behind, you know, we don't know where Saquon Barkley is going to end up, right? We don't know with Austin Eckler and that, you know, we talked about with Corum. There are lots of things that, you know, we don't know where these guys are going to be. And if you could play into that uncertainty, I think uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. And so I think that fits as a more kind of overarching idea as well, not just with those two players. Yeah, I, I think that is a great last thing to leave the show on. Um, this is the time of year as important. We've spent most of the time on rookies, but free agency, the uncertainty about those who are going to be free agents and the uncertainty of those who like Trey Palmer may or may not benefit from free agency is the biggest advantage. If you're playing a longer contest, like the big board, that's going to close uh, before the draft. That, that's the best opportunity that you have to gain an edge every year because the rookies are going to stay pretty good values right up till draft. Some will come up and or down a little bit, but the free agencies, once their situations are known, um, the discount is gone. Yeah. And that's, and we're going to see overreactions as well. And so it's not even that the discount is gone. It's that it, it runs into a more absurd kind of level. And so that is, that is a really, like you said, let's just leave it there. Great point to leave it on. That's it for this episode, talking about 2024 best ball. We're going to have a lot more best ball content as we get here through the off season. Make sure you head over to sharpfootballanalysis.com. We have a mock draft already over there. Like I said, we already have underdog ADP up. If you want to take a look at that and where players are going, you can subscribe to our newsletter and get all of our content sent to your inbox. So make sure you go and check that out. And we'll be back real soon to talk about the NFL Combine, which is almost here.
The NFL never sleeps. See you then.